Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Anybody there? Hello, hello. There we go. I think we're good. I think we're good. Yes, Hi. I can see it. Nice lights. Oh, nice thank lights. you. Yeah, I just I just got the color lights in here. They were uh, the Christmas lights that we didn't use last year. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I figured perfect. out I needed to start sprucing up the place a little bit. Oh, well, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. You're welcome. This is yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Adrienne, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me for a little bit. Uh, I'm yeah, really looking forward to asking you a whole bunch of questions. Great. And <laughs> uh, I think uh, maybe if it's okay, we can start at the beginning um, of your creative life. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember where that started for you? Sure. Um, you know, I uh, I grew up with. Um, a lot of women um, and my grandmothers were both very uh, practical crafters right so if you needed something you could make it mm. um, and that was basically across the board for everything okay um, but my great grandmother on my mother's side in particular was very crafty so every gift we got everything we did when we hung out at her house was sort of um, an artistic creative thing mm. Um, and all through my childhood and well into high school, I just assumed that I would be some kind of um, visual artist uh, when I grew up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I was kind of headed toward that trajectory. Um, and so I always, uh, in some way, was practicing an art, I think. Mm. Um, not always with a very serious uh, intent. You know, art yeah. is just, it's yeah. a thing I think that people do. Um, and just inherently, it's, you know, uh, human nature to be artistic or creative in some way. Um, yeah. And whatever the result of that is, um, I think it's all basically the same equal impulse, um, you know, just to make something right. uh, original that didn't exist before. Um, so, yeah, I painted a lot. Um, but I was always a really strong reader. Um, and I never wanted to like write a novel or anything, but I, I would read uh, just books and books and books. And that's still true. Um, and so it really didn't surprise me in adulthood when it was like, oh, okay, let me think about this some more. Um, but in terms of creative writing, I actually didn't begin doing any of that until uh, the pandemic. Oh, really? Not seriously. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was an editor for a long time, uh, and I still am. Um, 
but uh, I never really wrote like short fiction or um, I definitely did not write poetry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't have any exposure to it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't really a thing. Uh, yeah. It didn't seem like a viable way to express yourself. Just wasn't in the picture. Right. And I'm not sure that it wasn't that it wasn't viable. It was just that I knew I, it, that I had not um, been exposed to enough of it to know whether or not I was going to enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. um, I uh, very, very deliberately a few years ago, um, I started reading poetry by living working authors, uh, you know, people, poets who are writing right now, yeah. um, because I had only really encountered the old classics, uh, right. you know, the Emily Dickinson's and as wonderful <laughs> as they are, uh, it, it didn't um, speak to me, I don't think, uh, yeah. in the way that it does or did maybe at the time. <laughs> I don't know. So I started reading yeah. very seriously, uh, reading a lot of collections. And I, on average, in a year, probably read about 100 books. Oh, wow. Um, poetry books are shorter. I've been reading more than that <laughs> in a year. <laughs> <laughs> I was tracking on Goodreads, and then I was like, OK, I actually don't want to track this. This is <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I got that. No, that's a, it's a point of pride. Uh, well, I don't know. It's like, this is, I need something else to do. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so during um, that first initial lockdown, uh, there were a lot of poetry workshops that were suddenly available online. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that was something that I would have considered before. Yeah. Um, you know, but it seemed a natural extension of like the intense contemporary poetic reading. And so... Right. I took a workshop essentially to learn how poems work. Um, and of course, as part of that, I ended up writing poetry. And then as a part of that, I was like, okay, maybe this is a thing for me. <laughs> and something uh, clicked there. At that yeah, moment. it really yeah. did. It yeah. really did. And uh, that first year, 2021, uh, was the first year I took a workshop. Mm. Um, and in 2021, I took I had something like 84 sessions or something like oh, that wow. just multi-weeks one-offs um generative things craft study i was very intensive um i love that mostly. They, so crash course on just about every facet of poetry it sounds like yeah i was i was trying for that it was like a kitchen table mfa um <laughs> <laughs> you know which is a um the author chuck palinick who, who mm. wrote fight club right um, has a book called Consider This, uh, where he discusses how he built his own MFA. Uh, and I ha I don't have one. And so I was like, maybe this is a thing we can test out. And so now I'm here. <laughs> no, that's that's wonderful. And and so just to backtrack a little bit, sure. you, are, you said you were an editor for a while before you got into poetry. What kind of editing or what kind of work did that entail? Um, it actually ran sort of across the board. Uh, I was freelance for more than a decade. Um, and I, I worked at websites, um, particularly in the news or in, um, you know, general 
uh, audience nonfiction. Uh, so mm -hmm. I wrote and edited at Mental Floss for a while. Um, and that was a good lot of fun. Mm. Um, and then when I moved to Ohio in 2024, I was the managing editor of Writer's Digest magazine, oh. um, which is specifically for writers about how to write. Um, but most of my freelance clients um, were novelists. Um, and a lot of those were self-published novelists. And so I did uh, a great many romance novels. Mm. Um, a lot of genre fiction, a lot of uh, independent publishers, uh, so little indie houses. Uh, for a while, I was a, an editor at Civil Coping Mechanisms, which <laughs> was the funnest. So yeah, lots of work, yeah. all kinds of things. So does that do those genres kind of align with what you're interested in, or, or was that something that you were venturing into that you hadn't looked into before? Um, you know, the the idea of working in the space of books um, generally uh, always made sense to me. It was my natural habit uh, was just to read, <laughs> and it still is. <laughs> um, and it seemed like a great way to earn money while doing the thing that I yeah. would ordinarily be doing. Um, and I think that some people are sort of natural editors you know you always get the people who are like there's a typo on this box i'm that person <laughs> i'm not proud of it uh, no you should be that's a but, superpower <laughs> <laughs> it has earned a living i will say that you know like it keeps me in in a job most of the time yeah, so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wonderful so uh if we may fast forward really quick to something that i noticed in the work that you've been putting out poetry wise mm -hmm. you're doing these amazing pieces of patchwork poetry and i know that there's a um a classical term for it that i'm blanking on right now uh, sure. but how do you stumble into that form so are we talking about the 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 centos yes um okay so this is interesting because i'm going to guess that the one you read is called we with our sparklers light the path um yeah that was one of them mm -hmm. that actually arose from my very first workshop um the assignment that week <laughs> was was to write something uh in a form we'd never written mm -hmm. and this was my first workshop so i had never written any form ever <laughs> so, so what happened was um i was very aware of the golden shovel um, and I really enjoyed uh, the idea of that, and I thought it was something that I could work with. Um, and so I began with a shovel. So that particular poem uses the <laughs> uses a series of lines from the Frank, the Frank Ocean song "Pink Matter." Mm. Um, <clears throat> so if you read it down the side, this piece is published at the Indianapolis Review. Um, if you read it down the left hand side. The end words will uh, read as part of that song. Um, what I did from there was a lot of experimentation. So I initially thought I was going to write into it and just do a straight shovel. Um, and what I realized was I found that sort of revealing because this was my first work, 
workshop um, and I didn't have a process yet um, for coming up with an idea if I didn't have one specifically in mind. I didn't have a lot of the tools that I use now uh, for writing poems and I had also never written a chinto because I'd never written a poem. So uh, <laughs> I, what I started doing was searching poems that I had saved, poems that I hadn't booked, uh, pieces that we had read that week for, for the workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those lines come from that workshop's reading and just fitting them in to the shovel. Um, so if I had, for example, a word that I knew needed to be at the end of a line, I would break the line of the poem at that word and run mm -hmm. it to the next line and then find okay. something that would fill in the next gap. And so it became something like a puzzle. Um, and it was really satisfying. That was a really, you know, I felt at the end like, okay, it's complete. I can't go any further because it's a shovel, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I can't change any of the words because it's a chento. So unless I'm going to remove an entire line, I have to be at peace with this. Um, wow. And so, you know, and I turned it in. It did actually change. It changed a bit uh, between that workshop and and publication. Mm. Um but it was really one of my very, very first poems. And it came, it arose basically um, from the, the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Uh, and I was given uh, an assignment to do something <laughs> I had not done, which was all the things. So I did as many of them as I could. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I may ask, you had this, this breathtaking poem, late October, Year of the Axe in the Jupiter oh, Review. Gosh. And that is... Where in the timeline is that? Do you feel like that one came along or was that one that came along later? It was literally late October. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just yeah. So late October, timeline. 2021, uh, my first workshop started on Valentine's day. So we're looking about eight months in okay. uh, at that point. So there was a bit of development already. You felt more comfortable in what you were doing. I, uh, that, that is such a powerful poem. Uh, it, yeah. it's stri it struck me in a way that like, and maybe it's cause I read it this week and you know, like maybe. with everything that kind of, kind of went on this week, <clears throat> it, it felt like this is striking a, a chord, but I also had to laugh because now I'm, I'm tasked with, with keeping information in my mind that I didn't really know I wanted, which is that Steve Bannon wrote a rap musical of some kind. <laughs> I have to go through the, uh, the footnotes of this lovely poem. And then I see like, what? <laughs> yeah, that, um, that was a holdover fact that I did learn in real time. Uh, didn't appreciate knowing either. <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, you know, it's so funny that you bring that one up. I, I think a lot of people haven't read that poem, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, I have not had a great many conversations about it. Mm. Uh, and it was a weird poem to try to place. Um, you know, when I was submitting it, uh, it was often part of a packet. Um, and no one ever expressed any sort of interest in it. Mm. And... Um, I think Why is that, do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, well, I think partly it's because it's tied to a very specific time frame. I mean, it's called late October. Um, and I, I was shopping it in probably early February, um, maybe January, but it had been a couple of months. So it's no longer fall of 2021. 
um, which is when the poem happens. Um, and, uh, and it's very political, you know? Um, and I think that, I, I think, first of all, it did find an ideal home. Uh, the Jupiter Review is an anti-fascist specific publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, <laughs> as we are all acutely aware, yeah. a great deal of fascism. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I saw the call for that, I sent it, uh, the editor there picked it up pretty quickly. Um, and we were excited about it. I was excited about it. I wanted to see what it looked like, uh, in the layout. It's heavily footnoted. I think there are some 30 footnotes or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what drew me to it is, is I was going through the list that you had pinned on, on Twitter. And that was one that like I was, I was reading. And then when I got to the end, I was like, this is this is part of the experience too. Like I I need to go right. through and experience those footnotes as well. And I I just because I'm still a student of poetry, I'm very early on in in that Same. area of writing. That <laughs> it, it just intrigues me that that is part of the form too. Um, I think it it um it really speaks to the way um, a lot of our anxiety is subconscious. We might say five words, but we also simultaneously have five independent thoughts happening and a whole lot of words we don't say yeah right yeah um and the footnoting in that one speaks really it's it's a dense poem it's a very narrow column um a lot of short sentences a lot of activity Mm -hmm. in that poem and for each of those independent activities there is some associated anxiety it was really an anxiety diary of a particular day Mm -hmm. um in october Mm -hmm. that was not an extraordinary day nothing really happened um but i was like a lot of people i think just feeling very overwhelmed um by all of it you know yeah Uh, and that form kind of came out of it that heavy footnoting right and and thank you for sharing that because i was going to ask you the origin like the the original prime moment of origination there for that that piece and i do think that there is such a degree of burnout right now that we're all looking for ways to still piece what we're feeling into a form into an expression of some kind is there is there burnout for political issues is there burnout right now for for you (laughs) i mean what's the for me specifically um i work in political news media uh it is my my job um i've been a doom scroller Always, even before there was a thing to scroll, I was like the channel flipping news watching, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's in me to be just very hyper aware of um, politics. And so, yeah, it comes with a lot of associated anxiety. Um, there is something to be said for being uh, blissfully ignorant. It's not helpful, but I'm sure that it is a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I've never yeah. done that before, yeah. <laughs> but um, just the burden of knowledge, I think, a lot of the time um, and feeling a sense of helplessness and maybe overwhelm. Right. Um, and especially in times like right now, we're only a couple of days removed from the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe. Mm-hmm. Um, we all knew it was coming. Um, that does not matter. It doesn't help us at all feel yeah. better about this. Yeah. Um, I think, though, I mean, we know um, that poetry is political, 
poetry has always been political. Um, the tradition of poetry sort of asks us to bear witness um, to whatever it is that we're witnessing, right? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, um, that's going to be political because to walk around in the world means to be aware of these things. Um, and so it might arise uh, in the poetry that way. I don't often intend to write a political poem. Um, there's no, it's almost like there's no need to start with that aim because it's right. so intrinsically a part of, of what we mm -hmm. have to do that it's not like, oh, I'm going to write my political Tuesday poem. You know, it's like, I'm going to sit down to. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. having having that background and, and being involved in in politics and in your profession in some shape or form, was that always something that was inherent to who you are? Or did you come into that at some point in time in your life? Um, no, I think I always watched the news. Um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Uh, she was, <laughs> she had a, a hilarious uh, television routine, which <clears throat> consisted primarily of Jeopardy and um, <laughs> the news and A Current Affair. Do you remember that show? Are you I old enough to remember? Right, so A Current Affair had one of the more horrifying opening sound effects. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> a little bit like Unsolved Mysteries, that sort of overbearing um, yeah. dread. Every time that noise happens, it sounds like, uh, you, you know, it's a signal to be concerned. Something concerning is about to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, <laughs> I watched an impossible amount of uh, news and and um, investigative journalism <laughs> as a child, oh, uh, I see. and it definitely it definitely came through uh, adulthood. So it's always mm. been true for me that yeah. awareness. So uh, did you did you go to school for uh, journalism? Did you did you get into that or uh, how, how I did know that. no? Okay, <laughs> well not not that it's a good or bad thing. I mean it's just uh, mostly curious how you go from um, from that childhood interest to to the profession. I guess I'm curious sure. of that. Um, it mostly was a natural extension just of uh, my work history. I've been an editor for a long time. Um, and in the early, oh gosh, it must have been 2010, 2011, um, I worked at uh, a website called The Week, uh, which is um, sort of famously even-handed uh, between political parties um, I left that job <laughs> and then I didn't work in the news for a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really felt like if I'm doom scrolling, if I already know that all of this is happening, if I'm working as an editor, it makes sense to put all of these things in one space. Mm -hmm get paid to do the doom scrolling, you know, um, yeah. and hopefully, you know, lend my effort to uh, an organization that I feel comfortable um, lending right. my energy to, right? right? So I work at Daily Coast, it's very progressive, um, unabashedly mm -hmm. um, and unapologetically. And there is yeah. none of the, the both sidesing that turned me off about working mm -hmm. at other places. And right. so, 
that is how they had an opening and I jumped in there and I did a number of interviews and it was one yeah. of the better decisions I've made in my life. Yeah. Oh, great. That's, <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah. And it is something to, to definitely be proud of because it's not an easy gig and, and let alone, I mean, yeah. it, it, I think that to stand up and be very vocal about what is happening right now is of the essence, but there is a degree of commitment and sacrifice to that because you're putting yourself out there in a way that you, even a poet or an artist may not be doing. So how sure. does that translate to the work that you're doing as a poet? Because I'm sure that there's a lot that you take from that work that you're doing um, reporting or, you know, editing. Right. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, my name does not appear on the website most of the time. Um, so I haven't had the problems that my colleagues have had with um, being right. attacked on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, which, um, goodness. Right. Uh, it's not, mm -hmm. the, not the best time. Um, what I think is important, first of all, to say is that um, being vocal um, when there is a division like this one <clears throat> and like these, I don't want to say this one. There are many overlapping divisions in the United States. The center of all of those is white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, it is really the foundational situation that keeps, uh, you know, 30 to 40% of us from fully uh, comprehending what's going on with the rest. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it is important, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, it is certainly important for me personally mm -hmm. uh, to be vocally non-moderate you cannot mlk talks about this in letter from a birmingham jail the moderate white voter is the problem because they passively accept mm -hmm. white supremacy right yeah. they accept oppression you can't be like that yeah. <laughs> and feel good about yourself if you're aware of everything that's happening right. and the nature of the work is that i'm aware of everything that's happening mm. um and so yes i am vocally probably obnoxiously um loud about a lot of these things that is intentional yeah. um and i feel you know for the most part good about that um obviously it means that i invite people to be rude to me online I don't genuinely care <laughs> about that much. Like, I Twitter has a mute button. I quit Facebook like 10 years ago. So oh, whatever. Kudos to you. Right? Yeah, that Thank is you. a big one. <laughs> Thank you. The trick to quitting Facebook, and I will tell you how I did it because it's hilarious. <laughs> I had uh, early in Facebook years. Uh, I don't know if this is still true, but there was a cap of 5,000 friends. You couldn't have more than that. Mm -hmm. And I hit that cap and I wanted different friends because there were real people who I did know and wanted to be friends with. And so what I did every day was when the little list came up of birthdays, if I didn't know that person well enough to say happy birthday, I just unfollowed them. I unfriended them. Oh, that and is eventually, brilliant. <laughs> eventually what happened over the course of a year, I had like no friends and I was like, great, I can leave. Like, <laughs> I don't have to worry about this. So, and, and I did. Very smart. Uh, dear listener, uh, heed that advice. Uh, you will live longer. That's what I tell people. Leave Facebook, you will live longer. Um, yeah. So I've been thinking about this quite a bit, especially during the last two, three years, four years. I don't I don't even know what, uh, how long we've been at this. But 
I'm conflicted because I'm a, I'm a pretty progressive liberal person in a red state. I am confronted sure. by my values all the time. And so the biggest sure. question in my mind is, can art, can our individual singular creativity do something in this political climate? Because I have ups and downs. There's days where I just feel like we are marching forward with creativity as the voice of truth and we will use it to, to bring knowledge in, in sure. some kind of way. Um, how do you manage that? Or is that a conversation that you, that you think is worth having with yourself? I don't think it's a conversation that I spend a lot of time with for myself because I know that I don't care. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think that this is true. Um, every poem is an individual act of creative productivity. Um, and it's unique to your mind, which is, ex it's unique to your experiences, which is unique to the entire timeline of your lived human beingness. So all of these things come up, um, whether you intend them to not or not. So over the course of a career or the arc of a particular timeline, whether you would like for it to happen or not, the content of your poetry is going to reveal your obsessions and your concerns and the things that you encounter, uh, you know, with regularity or in a way that is um, remarkable, right? Because to write about something is literally to remark on it. Um, so no, I don't worry uh, that I'm incorporating too much. Um, I don't worry that it's not going to be literally specifically transferable to another person. Um, I think yeah. the goal is a lot of time to just transfer um, a sort of ecosystems of feelings, right? Mm -hmm. um, something might happen to me that makes me feel a particular way. And even though I know that that exact incident wouldn't affect maybe the reader or anyone else exactly the same way. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, I can imagine a scenario that would. Yeah. And you know, I love that. Yeah. That explanation makes perfect sense now that you mention it, because it doubles down on this idea that you can't be out to make a difference in the way that you want to intellectually with, with the, with the work. Like, you know, you can't set out to, to say this is political Tuesday, <laughs> you know, or right. this is that you, you, organically you have to let it be what it is yeah um if it happens that you write a poem that engages a wide readership that makes um you know people pause and reconsider um maybe a position they had or their tendency to say oh i don't think about politics mm. this isn't for me um you know i think that it is a little bit foolish to think that a poem I write is going to change millions of hearts and minds. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Poetry has a, a niche audience. We're a small <laughs> group of people. Um, I don't bank on that, <laughs> right? We can't count on being yeah, yeah. the Amanda Gorman, right? right, um, right. But uh, you can write something and a person may encounter it at any point in time. Um, and at that point in time, it's not you anymore. And it's not, 
um, maybe even specifically relevant to the time um, in which it's read. But mm -hmm. if it does the thing that a good poem does, which is move the reader or engage them in thinking in an interesting or novel way, um, then it has done its job. And if you multiply that by, you know, a hundred poems, <laughs> you're making a difference, right? <laughs> yeah. It's probably not quantifiable. I'm not going to, sure, you know, sure. but I think that on an individual level, it is extremely important for the creators of things um, to do the work. I think um, mostly for our own um, creative satisfaction, but also because it is important to have, like I said, to bear witness, mm -hmm. um, to, to share your lived experience with people. Yeah, fascinating. And that gives me a lot to think about, and I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, do you think that there has ever been any kind of feeling in your mind about the muse or spirituality within poetry? Is there, is there room for that in the way that you work? Or is that, is that, uh, um, is that something that, that is, is part of it? Yeah, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I am not, uh, intensely spiritual, um, in my daily life and inside this work or out of it. Uh, I tend to really, uh, focus on this on what i believe is the truth which is that we have this um this is what we get mm -hmm. right um and for me there is a kind of pressure to do something with it right you get one wild and your precious life what will you do with it right yeah. um <laughs> and so uh you know i i think a lot about parenting i have a daughter who will be 17 next mm. month um a, a great deal of my time is spent thinking about that in a very specific way what do i hand down what yeah. do i make an example of right? right and that can inform the work um but i don't know that I have a sort of um, spiritual thinking when it comes to writing poetry. I don't know that I believe in a muse. I think that um, we have tools in our individual toolboxes that get us to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, I write very often. I do not have a great idea very often. Um, well, <laughs> I say that sometimes I go back and look at those old drafts and I'm like, that was a great idea. Um, <laughs> but I do write, I write quite a bit, uh, and I write even when I don't think that I have something to say. Um, mm -hmm. in fact, I keep a notebook in basically every room of my house and I listen for lines. Um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. Um, I watch a lot of documentaries. <laughs> and obviously I listen to a lot of news interviews. Yeah, um, yeah. And when I encounter a line, I will scribble it down and then periodically sweep all those notebooks up and go through them and look for something that sort of speaks to me. Um, that is an interesting practice that I think has been useful. Um, and you could say that at some point, one of those lines that I've written down contains in it at least 
a part of a muse, right? Mm, yeah, like yeah. here's a spark for an idea. True. But I tend to really think about them as repeatable exercises. What is something I can do yeah. over yeah. and over yeah. um, that will yield something yeah. it's <laughs> most a, of the time? Like, like a tangible habit that just because it's a, it's a ritual of some kind does not sure. infer religion or spirituality within that. Um, I yeah. might steal that. I might try it's a that. Great idea. I have a surplus of notebooks that. too. Yeah, so I, yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> might get to that. Um, but I've got uh, three at my desk here. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell me um, an experience that you've had putting together a poem where y you were able to transcend what you knew? Like, what what was the biggest learning experience? If you could share one anecdote oh my God. that sticks out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but <laughs> I, I am learning Happy to all move the time. on. <laughs> every every poem I write is a learning experience because I literally know nothing. Um, I tell people, and I have been telling people that I just got here. I just got here. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I do workshop a lot. I pick up a lot of tips. Um, you know, from very smart people who have been doing this like, sometimes my entire lifetime. Mm. Um, but I hesitate to say that any of those experiences uh, was more meaningful than another because I think that largely uh, they all go to the same place, which is uh, the well of information I have. It's all sort of just this disorganized Diane Seuss in an interview that I really love once said that uh, because she's mostly self-taught um, what she knows is like an inland lake so it's surprisingly deep in some parts and very shallow in other parts um, oh, I believe that was in the rumpus and I think about that all the time because it is exactly the same if I enjoy something I'm going to workshop in it a lot I'm going to think about it a lot and right. kind of practice and I'm going to build that deep well um, in this space. And so I love prose poetry. I write a lot of prose poems. Mm -hmm. I would say in that well, very deep. Um, most everything else is, is the shallow outer <laughs> part. <laughs> and, and it, you know, you just try to keep digging at the bottom of it yeah. and get a little further. What a lovely visual for that. Uh, yeah. Isn't it? It's yeah. really functional yeah. too. Um, I think it's helpful <laughs> for me. Like, oh, okay, good. Yeah. Like, it's all right to just be all over the place. Yeah, if, a, uh, if an insanely talented Pulitzer Prize winning poet can uh, can share that with us, I mean, that really gives us a, um, a way to look at the world a little bit for us who are getting into it. Now, uh, just a couple more questions just to be mindful of, uh, of your Sunday. Sure. Um, what's, uh, what's something that, that's gone on with Twitter for you in terms of finding community there? Has that been a tool for you to learn, to keep learning? What are some benefits of being a part of the, the poetry community, which has given me so much in the last year, but I'm curious to hear what your experience has been there. Yeah, so it's actually interesting that you ask that because um, literally 100% of my poetry community uh, arose from and in part still exists on Twitter. Um, I didn't use it frequently. Uh, I quit most social media around the time I, I finally made it through my friends list on Facebook. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, Instagram, I was just posting like 
cupcakes or whatever. You know, the, <laughs> it was completely useless. Like it was yeah. nice for me because it wasn't political. I used it as a sort of reprieve, right? Mm. Um, when I started reading poetry very seriously, um, it was, as I said, like contemporary working writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, uh, you know, there was just in the bio, like follow on Twitter. And I would go and check them out. And so <laughs> sort of hilariously reopened this old, 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 old Twitter account that had like no followers um, and just started looking for poets I was reading, poets who engaged around that reading um, and built out a real poetry specific group of people. Um, and from there, I found workshops. I still find them there, readings. Um, uh, 2021 obviously was the year of the virtual poetry reading. I don't know <laughs> that I even knew it was a thing before then. Um, I went to hundreds of them. Oh, there was cool. always a reading, yeah. right? And so, you know, um, at least once a week, probably uh, for that first solid year, I was in a reading, in a workshop. I tried to do it every week. Um, and all of that arose from Twitter. I have a regular small group of poets. Uh, we meet on weekends and we talk about what we're working on. We sometimes will write things together um, or give each other ideas or read for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, And that is directly from uh, Twitter, from those workshops. Um, you know, And I will say without feeling like I'm being hyperbolic, that Twitter and finding poets on Twitter probably got me through the pandemic. I don't know that my anxiety would have let me survive that um, without it, without poetry, without that that real, very serious um, community. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that in a lot of ways, poetry um, taught me how to be affectionate with people um, in a way that I didn't really understand before. There is so much attention and care in a, in a poem. Um, and it's extremely revealing um, to share those drafts with people, to be vulnerable um, in those spaces and show each other things that, I mean, a first draft is never good. Even if it contains the best poem you're ever going to write, that first draft is trash and it is embarrassing. And you have to do it. You have to, right? Yeah. And so there's a real tenderness and, and um, you know, just mindful carefulness that poets have for one another um, that I had not experienced until I started workshopping. Oh, that's and it a- was... I love that. <laughs> right. It's, it will change your entire game, right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. even my my longtime friends now are like, you know, <laughs> every day I'm texting my friends, hi, how are you? I love you. Be safe. <laughs> you know, and there's just this focused attention um, on people. And so all of those re- relationships that um, are important to me that, that I want to take care of um, outside of poetry have benefited from um learning with poets how to take care of each other <laughs> and so 
it's I recommend it, even if you're very bad at poetry, which I still contend and will probably always say I am. Um, I just got here. I don't know. What I'm doing. Well, let me, <laughs> let me kindly disagree with you, first of all, on that last statement. But I think otherwise, that's a beautiful note to end on and very thoughtful. I'm just sure. so happy to have found your poetry, to have connected with you. But also, you. I want to I want to um, ask you, lastly, this is the last one. <laughs> What what's on the horizon for you? What are you looking to get done in the coming year? Um, I am working on a full length manuscript. I am working on at least two chapbooks. Um, my goal by the end of the year, I had a series of goals for 2022, and those were largely um, complete in February, which was a problem for me. I had to kind of figure <laughs> out what else to do. So, <laughs> um, last month, my uh, my first poem only for print was accepted. Uh, so I have a piece forthcoming in Stanchion magazine, which is only on paper. Um, mm. So that goal was satisfied. So now I have scrambled to give myself a new goal, which is to finish at least one of these manuscripts. Um, I ha might have a full length called Water Bearing um, and the works that I have been um, sort of picking away at for a long time. Um, and it's a series of poems that because of the nature of my brain, dive into a million different things, but they share the motif of water. Um, and the title comes from uh, an invented verb. So a water bear is a type of animal uh, that is really hard to kill. <laughs> so water bearing as a verb is surviving um, under mm. just inconceivable pressure. Um, and so that is the the unifying theme of that book. Uh, and I have a couple of small fun ones. I've got one called You, Me, and the Man in this Documentary, uh, which <laughs> which are poems that begin with lines that I heard in a documentary. Um, there's already a, a, a couple of these out there. There's a poem in Had, uh, Hobart After Dark, uh, with a very long title that arose from this, this practice of listening for a line and then writing it into a poem. Um, and people really seem to like that one. So I'm hoping that that chat pulls together. Oh, wonderful. Fast. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I, I may have to get your documentary recommendations next time because I think you know. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I have them. I have them. I have so many. Ready to go? But okay. <laughs> you should spend the $4 a month to subscribe to PBS Documentaries mm. channel on Amazon Prime. Nova, all the way through. Beautiful. Really excellent. And if you need comfort viewing, I absolutely recommend watching Ancient Aliens and being just baffled, oh. baffled continuously <laughs> at how many ways a person can explain that a person couldn't do something. I just, <laughs> it is my favorite thing. I, I don't believe one word of anything from Ancient Aliens, but man, I love to watch it. They, it is straight trash. Yeah, yeah. I, it really does feed that part of you that, that just like... I, I don't know. We're in nowhere land right now. Like this doesn't make any sense in any shape or form, but I'm right here. I'm committed. Right. I'm sitting down. I got my popcorn. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think that that about does it then. But Adrian, thank you so much for your time, you. for being awesome. This was so good. Yeah. I look, I look, I look forward for, uh, to your, to your work, you know, when it comes out, just let me know when you're promoting and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you more about documentaries and fun stuff. Hopefully lighter notes than what we're going through right now, but I hope so. Yeah. Let's, so. let's keep hoping. 
But yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I'll you. be talking to you soon. I hope so. I'll you see you on the internet. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at CruiseFolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love. Thank you.